All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews 10. We could certainly pray this morning right now and, and probably close the service down, down and, and be just, just okay. Uh, I tell you what, those songs were powerful. Uh, so much rich truth and gospel. Uh, I was just reminded of Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are you thankful to God this morning for the gospel, for Christ, for the opportunity to gather, to worship as the body of Christ, his church? Andy, thank you for the intentionality in the songs. I know my heart was, was served well uh, as we just worked through those, those songs, and I pray that your heart was prepared now to receive gladly and joyfully the word of the Lord this morning. Would you join me in prayer as we just commit this time to the Lord, ask him to have his will and his way in our hearts, our lives, individually and corporately, even as a church together. Let's pray, God, we come to you right now. Pray that you would work, your spirit would move. I pray that you would do a work that only you could do. Do the impossible this morning because we know it is possible with you. Christ. Be magnified this morning. Jesus, I pray that you would be big in this place, that we would be overwhelmed, that you would arrest our attention with the glories, truth of the gospel. And I pray that there would not be a fearful expectation of judgment but we would find ourselves by your grace through faith to truly be in the faith. And as such, we would remember that we have a better possession this morning. We find hope, encouragement in the promises of Scripture today. Use your word, God. I pray that it would not return void. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter number 10, we're going to cover verses 32 through 39 this morning and sticking with our, our better themes that we have so often unfolded week after week. Uh, our, our title this morning is, is just that, a better possession. A better possession. Before we dive right into these verses, last week uh, no doubt was a heavy message I pray that as you came away from it, whether you were here or, or maybe you caught up uh, online with that message, uh, I pray that you came away from it with a biblical sense of the awe and fear of the Lord. It's not often in this day and age within the church, I pray that it would not be said of our church, but it's not often in the 
modern American church to talk about God's judgment, his fury, his, his wrath. These no doubt are part of who God is, and we must understand it rightly from a biblical sense. And that judgment, that fury, that zeal and, and jealous disposition of God towards individuals, it was towards those who choose willfully and deliberately to disassociate with the body of Christ. They have left the fellowship and have revealed themselves to be what tares among the wheat. First John chapter 2, verse 19, speaks to this reality. They went out from us. Why? Because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Friends, this is the reality of this warning that we looked at in Hebrews chapter number 10 just last week. And this morning in our text, verses 32 through the end of the chapter, the author of Hebrews is going to look uh, close, uh, is is going to close out this section, excuse me, by highlighting the importance of remembrance. There was that bookend of confidence, if you remember over the last few weeks that we've talked about. We started with confidence in verse number 19, and then we're going to end with confidence in verse number 35. And everything in between there is for our benefit so that we could know Jesus, so we could know the gospel, so that we could have a confident assurance, a blessed assurance, as it truly is this morning. And so... The author of Hebrews is going to help us in this exercise of confidence by highlighting the importance and the role of remembrance in the life of a believer. It's crucial to our understanding of of faithfulness and endurance and perseverance in our faith. The ability to recall and remember and reflect on all that God has truly done for us on a regular basis. Remembrance is What we did just last week as we observed the Lord's table in a time of communion, we do this in remembrance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remembrance is powerful. It's instructional. It's informing. It's it's helpful. It's recalibrating. And so the author of Hebrews, on on the heels of a, a heavy passage and a heavy warning against apostasy and and falling away. The author is going to circle back with some deep, deep, excuse me, and rich and beautiful truths concerning the gospel and Jesus Christ. This allows us, by God's grace, to not only know about a better possession, but as we remember and and recall and reflect, it truly will cause us to believe by faith that God's promises are true and there is a better possession to come. So friends, as we look into this text, I pray that you'll follow with me. I pray that our minds would be open, our hearts would be ready to receive these wonderful promises this morning. It truly is something, again, helpful and powerful in the simple exercise of remembrance. Think about it. 
was the last time when any area of life that you wanted to improve on or consider or um, just get better in, what did you typically have to do? You had to reflect back. Whether it was a, a health plan, losing weight, uh, eating better, exercising, whether it was uh, academically trying to improve a grade, uh, you had to reflect back on and understand how did you get there and why. What were the struggles and difficulties and how can you overcome them in the days ahead? Remembrance is a part of the human life, but spiritually, too often, we Assume we know the gospel. It's something that happened in the past. It's a date on the calendar. It's something that we did, and, and we cast it aside. And we come, and we worship, and, and we leave, and we come back on Sunday, and we do it all over again. And, but the time between Monday and Saturday, we're not reflecting on and remembering the goodness of God that was shown to, toward us in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Friends, the challenge from our author is that remembrance should be a regular and daily spiritual discipline in our lives. To remember God's grace shown towards us. To remember his faithfulness. To remember the times that he was faithful to deliver us, to help us in our time of need, to sustain us when we thought all else was lost. God met us there in our time of need. And he saw us through. Remember this morning who Jesus is. Remember the God of your salvation. Remember the joy of your salvation. Taste and see this morning that he is good. All throughout scripture, we are called to remember. Why? Because we forget We are constantly challenged in Scripture to remember. Was that not the the purpose of even the Passover meal? Do you remember why they had the Passover meal? What was it uh, remembering? It was remembering the deliverance of the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians, right? They had an entire meal annually that they would observe and reflect on. Different aspects of that mill would represent different nuances of God's faithfulness and deliverance to his people. Remembrance, then, is the grace-enabled discipline of reflecting on what God has done, what God has said, and what God has promised. Say that one more time for your notes if you're taking them. Remembrance, then, is the grace-enabled discipline of reflecting on what God has done, what God has said, and what God has promised. This brings us to our big idea of verses 32 through 39 this morning. It's this, because God is faithful. Amen? Because God is faithful, we can be confident that he will provide the endurance to joyfully persevere in this life and for all eternity. Because God is faithful, we can be confident that he will provide the endurance to joyfully persevere in this life and for all eternity. This morning, our text is a bit more simplified. So we're just going to make two observations uh, from verses 32 through 39. The first is, remember God's faithfulness and joyfully endure suffering. The second point is, remember God's faithfulness and confidently persevere in faith. Let's unpack our first point. 
Remember God's faithfulness and joyfully endure suffering. Again, in our previous passage, the author leveraged the vehicle of fear to reveal and expose and uncover that evil and unbelieving heart that some had within the gathering, within the church. Ultimately, we know from verse number 25, 24, and 25, in that context, who did the author have in mind? It was those who were uncomfortable in associating with and gathering regularly with the body of Christ. The author was revealing that individual did not have faith, thus they would not be partakers of a better possession and a better promise. Rather, they would only have a fearful expectation of judgment waiting for them. That is a sobering reality, friends, that even some in our congregation here today may be here. Affirming in their mind, but yet have no relationship with the Lord. Know some things about the gospel, but have never repented of their sins and received the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for their salvation. They're still trusting in their own works. They're still trusting in their goodness. They're still trusting in uh, being a part of, of a church, practicing religion, doing the right things, checking the right boxes. They never laid it at the foot of the cross and submitted to the lordship of Jesus over their life. The author now turns his attention back to those who are in the faith. And he admonishes them in verse number 32 to simply recall. To recall how God's grace had sustained them through hard struggles and sufferings that they had endured. The author says, remember... You endured then and so endure now even in these present difficulties. So they recalled, excuse me, so they were called to recall the former days in verses 32. And then in verse 33, he helps them along with this exercise of remembrance. How? He simply describes what these former days look like. Look at me in verse number 33. Verse number 33. Sometimes, being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. There was times and testimonies and Remembrance that could be brought to mind where individuals were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. We don't know the details of these situations, but we know in, in that time and in that way there was those that were taking advantage of Christians, seizing property, um, overnight taking everything that they had and becoming homeless. Those that were in the church were certainly in that second part. They were sometimes being partners with those so treated. They were being called upon to help and assist for those that were being persecuted. Some of you may have had similar situations before, probably not to this degree in, in our setting and in our culture, but I pray God would give us the grace and strength to be able to face that for his glory if, if he would see fit. 
but maybe in smaller ways or other nuanced ways, we've been persecuted or afflicted. Uh, Maybe miss out on promotion, maybe missed out on jobs, maybe let go of different roles within the business world because of our faith, because of our stand for the gospel. Maybe within your own extended family unit, maybe you have estranged relationships because of stands you have taken for the gospel and, and, and your association and identification with Jesus has cost you some relationships. It has cost you something this side of eternity. The author of Hebrews is calling his readers to recall those times, to remember those times. Why? Because God was faithful in these public times of reproach and affliction. And the times that we came alongside and we partnered with others within the body of Christ that were so treated. And even verse number 32, you endured these hard struggles and with suffering. God was there. It wasn't easy. It wasn't what we would have chosen. But he was faithful. Did you get that word partnered? This is what it looks like to be a part of the body of Christ. Look at me up in verse number 24 and 25 of chapter number 10. This gives us kind of a word picture of what it looks like to live out verses 24 and 25. This was the third exhortation, if you remember, from that section of Scripture. Verse 24, and let us consider... That was the second one, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What does it look like for us to gather? What does it look like for us to encourage one another? It means we bring our public reproach and affliction. We bring our sufferings. We bring our fears. We bring our anxieties our insufficiencies, our struggles. And this is why we don't forsake the assembling together. Why? Because we must partner together. In Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Partnering. Are you doing that within the context of covenant membership? Do you know the public reproach and afflictions? Do you know the struggles and the hardships, the afflictions of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, even in this body? We can't love each other and encourage each other if we don't know these things about one another. And so, friends, bring your burdens. Bring them. Share them. Jesus says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Partnering with one another in affliction and struggle and hardship. 
So the warning in verses 26 through 31 that we talked about and how those are revealed to have an unbelieving heart have no interest in partnering with or associating with the body, let alone partnering with and associating with the body of Christ that are actively in the midst of suffering and experiencing hardship. This is why they have neglected to meet together. This is why they are falling away in the gap. This is why they don't want to identify with the body of Christ because ah, that's not what I signed up for. I'll follow Jesus, but I don't know about that persecution stuff. Yeah, I'll agree that Jesus is the Son of God, but I'm not willing to count the cost. It kind of sounds like the rich young ruler, does it not? Came to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus, knowing his heart and what gripped his heart, he said, go, sell your possessions and give them to the poor, and then follow me. The rich young ruler was unwilling to do that, and Scripture says that he went away sad. Coming to Jesus on his terms. Coming to Jesus with his expectations. Have you come to Jesus on his terms or your own? Are you willing to deny yourself, take up your cross and, and follow him? Are you still doing your own thing and just trying to sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus on top? Following Jesus' radical abandonment of ourself. Dying to ourself so that we can live in Christ. True faith Sounds like Paul in Philippians chapter number three, verses seven through 10. But whatever gain I had, Paul said, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. True abiding faith, this better possession it embraces the opportunity to partner with and to share in the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't shy away from persecution. Don't shy away from suffering as if, as if something strange is happening. But no, this is part of God's perfect plan for maximizing his glory in this world is to send his sons and daughters at different times and in different ways and for different purposes through seasons of suffering. Have you been there? Do you recall and remember the times that, that God met you in your darkest moment of loss, your darkest moment of hurt, your darkest trial that you just thought you were going to for sure be crushed by? But God sustained your heart. He sustained your faith. 
for the glory of God. True faith does not shrink back from hardships, suffering. True faith receives those things as part, again, of God's plan and is willing to partner with and associate with others that are going through the same, even if it may not be personally beneficial for them. Partnering with somebody who's suffering comes at a cost. But it is a clear mark of biblical faith for us to embrace and welcome and to associate with and to walk alongside and to bear those burdens with them. It is a mark of biblical faith. So the author goes on to describe the attitude and the disposition as they continue on in this exercise of remembrance. Look at me at verse number 34. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Compassion and joy in the midst of plundering. The loss of everything. Paul counted as, as a loss. Why? Because the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. It's far superior than any of these fleeting and temporal possessions and pleasures this side of eternity. Not only did they endure a hardship with struggle, but how did they do it? They did it with compassion and joy. A couple of scriptures come to mind outside of Hebrews. James, as we went through that book, uh, I say recently, but I know it's been longer than recently. James chapter number one, verses two through four. Do you remember these, these very familiar verses? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is, this is the, the heart of our passage when we think of endurance and perseverance that we've seen in chapter number 10. This is steadfastness. Trials, difficulties produce this abiding work in your faith. And so count it joy. First John chapter number 4. A slightly extended passage, so hang with me as I read this. Follow with me, though. Uh, hear and receive this inspired word of God. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse number 13. By this we know. Friends, I want to pause there before I go on. God's word desires us to know that we are in Christ. We don't have to hope. We don't have to be unsure. We don't have to include maybes within our understanding and knowledge of the gospel. God's word is given to us so that we may have this blessed assurance of knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is our Savior, that he has saved us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us 
because he has given us his spirit. Other scriptures talk about the Holy Spirit being our seal until the day of Jesus Christ. The promised Holy Spirit is is a proof, if you will, of true faith in Christ. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Verse 14, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence, there's that word again, for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Remember the fearful expectation of judgment from last week? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot Love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So there was a compassionate partnership with other brothers and sisters in Christ who were suffering and going through hardship. There was a joyful partnership with other brothers and sisters in Christ who were going through hardships and suffering. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ this morning. Oh, that we would run and sprint to a brother or sister in Christ that uh, lets a need known in our midst. That we would rally around them, not just in prayer from a distance, but we would be with them in their time of need, in their living room, in the hospital, in their car, In some place across the state or even across the country, that we would run and find joy and compassion in partnering with others in their time of need. Do you love the body of Christ? You say, oh, well, this church is imperfect, or they did this or did that, or. You're right, we are imperfect. My and our leadership as elders is imperfect. We're going to fumble the ball, so to speak, on some of these things. We're going to not know about a need when we should have. We're not going to follow up when we certainly should have. We're going to be imperfect in this. But friends, I pray that there would be grace even in that time. And that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We desire to love each other well, just as God loved us and gave his Son for us. 
Just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for the church. That we would model the love of God the Father and God the Son that has been shown towards us. Who are we to bridle the love of God towards one another when we have been shown so much love? This compassion of Hebrews 10.34 should look a lot like the love for the brethren in 1 John chapter number 4. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. This is a supernatural compassion and, and this love for others that draws us to identify with those that are suffering. Human nature is not to identify with suffering, is it? Human nature is to do what? It's to distance ourselves from suffering and persecution and hardships. We like comfort. We like convenience. We like control. And when we embrace hardships and partnering with others, we lose all of that. And so, friends, oh, that we would love the opportunity to be uncomfortable in our partnership within the body of Christ. Oh, that it would inconvenience us. Oh, that it would stir us up towards love and good works. That it would cost us something in this day of our Lord in the year 2023. That we would get out of our comfort zone and truly count the cost and deny ourselves and take up our cross and truly follow him as we see in scripture. Supernatural compassion. Supernatural love. Holy Spirit, grace-enabled love that as others look on and observe, the only thing they can say is that that is of the Lord. Jesus is real. Because that is supernatural. Why would we Individually, be willing to endure hardships and sufferings? Why would we uh, be like to take on the risk of identifying with others that are suffering, often at the own expense of our comforts and securities? Why? Because we know, we know, as Scripture says, that we have a better possession. And it's not just a better possession. It is an abiding, lasting, eternal possession. So partner, with zeal. Partner quickly with those who are enduring hardships. Welcome persecution. Don't shy away from us. Don't fold. Don't compromise. Stand fast. Why? Because let them take all this world can offer. Let them take our possessions. Let them take our homes. Let them take our clothes and our convenience and our comforts and our bank accounts. Let them take our retirement. Why? Because that is wood, hay, and stubble, friends. We have a better possession. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Is that the testimony of your life and your heart? Can you say that this morning? I hope that is the case. We have a better possession. So friends, I wonder, as you remember and recall, when you think about this possession, do you feel the things of this world gripping your heart? Do you feel the love of the money, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? Do you, cling, do you, do you feel them clinging closely to you? Lay it aside and run the race looking to Jesus, the author and finisher 
of our faith. Do you believe that this possession, this abiding possession, this lasting eternal possession, do you truly believe it is better? If it is, friends, partner, gather, encourage, consider, build up, be unified, pursue one another, stir up towards love and good works. If you believe this possession truly is better and it's worth the cost, leave everything else behind. And pursue Christ. Chapters 11 and 12 will mention a better city, a better country, and even a better kingdom that is to come. It's all pointing back to right here in chapter number 10 in verse number 34. A true faith is always looking forward to this promise of a better possession and abiding and lasting possession that can't be pillaged, that can't be ravaged, that can't be plundered. This is a secure possession. Why? Because it is secured by Jesus himself. Our great high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession on our behalf. This is a secure possession because its source is the creator of all things. So remember 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So dear Christian, this morning, remember God's faithfulness and joyfully endure suffering. Point two, remember God's faithfulness and confidently persevere in faith. Remember God's faithfulness and confidently persevere in faith. Verses 35 and 36, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. There is a great reward. You may not feel it. You may not see it this side of eternity. But friends, remember Jesus. Remember the promises of Scripture. Do not throw away your confidence. The author doubles down on this confidence. Don't throw it away and doubt the confession of your faith. Rather, hold fast to it. Just as you have remembered how God cared for you during your seasons of trouble and hardships and persecutions, remember that there is a better possession, and that better possession has a great reward. There's a grace-enabled grit And the Holy Spirit-empowered resolve here to remember the reward that is due because of this better possession. It is Christ. When we are in Christ, we have an inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ of this hope of eternity. Do not turn away like some have. 
Don't doubt, rather, run boldly to the throne of our great and merciful high priest and receive endurance because we need endurance. Endurance is such an amazing gift. Over the lifetime, there's uh, different seasons where I think of Earl Murray and I think of uh, others within my family, great-grandparents and grandparents, that you can look at the testimony of a life and you can see endurance, a testimony marked by endurance in any task or activity to have the ability to perform at a high level consistently over a long period of time. It's, it's amazing. You think of these marathon runners, triathletes, the Ironman, the CrossFit Games, whatever it is, when you see the true display of endurance, it is immediately awe-inspiring to say, wow, to sustain that level of performance over that period of time, it's just incredible. Spiritually speaking, Friends, we need endurance. We need endurance. Why is it awe-inspiring when we see these great feats of endurance? Because you know that that endurance that is just observable and just been seen, that accomplished something incredible, it's built over time and is achieved by months and years of consistent work. And so in terms of spiritual endurance, the work is done through not ourselves of some sustained high-level performance that we check all the right boxes over a long period of time in our life. It's not in our strength that we have endurance, but the, the spiritual endurance, this work is done through the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we saw in chapters 9 and 10. So in our case, as we look to the one who perfectly completed this work, our endurance is actually achieved through rest. For the believer, we persist in the faith, we endure in the faith, we persevere in the faith only as we rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And so friends, if you're striving in your own strength, if you're busy in your own works, the author of Hebrews would call you to stop. To lay that down and to rest in the work that has already been done. It is sufficient. It is done. It is completed. The work of Jesus, the once for all sacrifice, paid it all. It was a better sacrifice, better than the Old Testament Levitical system, better than anything we could do in our day. It is done, Jesus cried on the cross. So rest in the finished work of Jesus. As we rest in the finished work of Jesus, it enables a joyful obedience and submission to the will of God. And it becomes evident in our lives. As our text continues to work on, we, uh, we, we spoke briefly about authority last week. I don't know if you remember a, a few comments about ultimately what is revealed in this, this heart of the individual who deliberately keeps on sinning. There is a, there's a challenge and a conflict between authority. They want to be the authority over their lives. Therefore, they deliberately keep on sinning. They disassociate from the body of Christ. 
They essentially become their own little G God. They call the shots. They set the terms. To go even further, the heart of this individual, if you remember, they spurn the authority of God as they profane the sacrifice and blood of Jesus. That word profane, if you remember, was to count it as worthless. It's just any blood. Not supernatural. Not that of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Those that are holding fast to the confession of their hope, they gladly submit their lives to the authority of God and simply do what? His will. As our text here reminds us, Romans chapter number five, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because why? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. One commentator stated, perseverance is the grace of suffering Christians and the correct reaction to all tribulations. So it's here that our author quotes from Habakkuk, chapter number two, verses three through four and verses 37 and 38. And he also introduces a key shift in the remainder of the letter away from the warning against an evil and unbelieving heart. And now he really anchors the readers on understanding what true persevering faith is actually going to look like. That's going to be the aim and the focus as we move on from here. So part of receiving what is promised in verse 36 is fulfilled by a person in verse number 37. Read with me, for yet a little while. The coming one will come and will not delay. This person is Jesus. And just as he fulfilled the prophecy in his first coming, so will he also be faithful to fulfill the prophecy of his second coming. In his appointed time, he will come. And his second coming will be perfect and it, it will not be delayed. So Christian, by grace, continue in endurance. By grace, continue in perseverance. He will come again and he will not delay. Our bridegroom is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again, friends. There is an urgency and intentionality and a reality check that we must come to grips with that Jesus is coming again. So verse number 38, until then, what are we to be about the business of doing? Verse 38, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him until Jesus comes again, live by faith. Live by faith. Here's another exposure of the warning from verses 26 through 20, 31. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So God has no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Shrinks back from, from what? Identifying with Jesus and his church through sufferings and hardships and, and persecutions. The one who shrinks back from associating with the church and deliberately keeps on sinning and affirming their own authority over their lives. God has no pleasure 
in the one who is not in the faith. Looking forward to next week. Don't worry, Dave, I'm not going to preach it. We are reminded of this reality of chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible to please God without what? Faith. And so if he shrinks back, it's revealing that he's truly not in the faith. And God has no pleasure in him because he has no faith. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So the author closes here in verse 39, encourages the readers with his final verse, those that shrink back have no faith at all. And if they have no faith, it is impossible to please God. And they only have waiting for them this fearful expectation of judgment. But those who have faith, what a promise. What a hope. Those who have faith preserve their souls. How does one do this? We rest in Jesus. We hope in Jesus, we trust in Jesus. Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number three, consider him who endured also from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A better possession, friends, is only secured through a better high priest, Jesus Christ, Look to Jesus this morning and by his grace, hold fast the confession of your hope this morning and by his grace, look to him, look to Jesus and persevere. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we come to you right now. I pray that we would remember and recall your faithfulness, your help, your grace. I pray we would remember this morning that we truly do have a better possession. Help us to believe that a relationship with you truly is a better possession. I pray that we would lay aside all other desires and wants and passions and pursuits that we would pursue you. That we truly would say no turning back. No turning back. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that we'd receive it gladly and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen.